Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me this episode's co-host, Will Miles, as he joins in again, as we are finishing up our opponent previews in the 2019 schedule for the Gators in their last four SEC games. Will, um... As we mentioned uh, the, the the last uh, the last episode, Gators schedule gets tough, uh, always tough in the SEC. But here you've got South Carolina, Georgia. There's a bye week in between those teams, and then uh, you get through that little stretch there. You can't afford to lay up against uh, Vanderbilt, Missouri to end the SEC schedule. Now, we certainly saw that last year with some of those games, particularly against Missouri, but even the game against Vanderbilt was a little bit more tense than anybody would like, yet, though obviously that was before the Georgia game last year. So, you know, Florida's schedule is interesting this year in that you've got Kentucky and Tennessee, and then you've got Auburn, LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia, and then you sort of finish with Vandy and Mizzou. So if you can take care of business on the front end of the back end, then really that center part is going to be the key to the schedule, and I think that's what everybody's looking forward to. All right, we're going to dive right into it. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there as well as articles from the News 4 Jack sports team. Catch Gators Breakdown on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube. YouTube. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown this Saturday. August 17th, kickoff party here in Jacksonville, one week before Florida and Miami kickoff and uh, free admission. Uh, you'll have to pay for food and drinks. RSVP is out there on Twitter, uh, but if you can't find it on Twitter, you can email me at GatorsBreakdown at gmail.com and let me know if you want to go. And also get your Gators Breakdown gear at squadlocker.com. Head over there, click in the top right of the screen, click on Find Your Store, type Gators Breakdown. And all the gear is available right there. Gators breakdown, hats, shirts, polos, and more over at Squad Locker. And if you guys listened to the uh, previous kind of opponent previews that we did with FSU and Miami and then all the the first four SEC opponents for the Gators, you know we started with what opposing coaches had to say in the Athlon and Lindy's Magazine. And we'll just get started right here with Will Muschamp and the South Carolina Gamecocks and opposing coaches size up South Carolina. 
this is the season where we're going to figure out how good Will Muschamp can make this program. A lot of us thought it would be last year, but I don't know if defensively they were where they needed to be. They've been injured a lot, but especially down the stretch last season, that's the biggest unknown this season for them, just to stay healthy. You've got one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the league with Jake Bentley and a good core on the offensive line. They've got to take advantage of that. What hurts them is losing Debo Samuel and not having a run game. There's no one on their roster at rideout like Debo. Quarterbacks coach Dan Warner is a good fit for Bentley. He's really changed their passing game, and I think he gets what Will wants to do there. They need better running backs. The secondary is really thin. That's got to piss Will off because they've brought in some top guys in the front these last few years. Signed five-star uh, Zach Pickens, and he could start right away. That was a big get for them. They're really talented up front. If Javon Kinlaw returns healthy, He's a hell of a force, but they weren't that tough against the run at all. You could sort of impose your will on them. They didn't tackle all that well. The backers were out of position. As the Florida game went on, Will, we really saw that kind of that, that statement hold true. And as that game went on, you saw Jordan Scarlett and Michael Piran uh, go off. So really good uh, you know, observations there for some coaches. Uh, to finish it off in Athlon, overall, they're a talented team that's built really well in recruiting. You just haven't seen it all come together quite yet. I don't think Will was on any kind of hot seat. He has a great relationship with AD Ray Tanner. Won nine game there two years ago, but they need to keep pace. Margins are smaller in the East for the next few years. And what Lindy's has to say, opposing coaches' views uh, on the team, South Carolina has some talent, but is not very disciplined. A lot of people got hurt last year, and that brought into question their strength and conditioning program. They wilted in the fourth quarter in their first SEC game against Georgia. Clemson is their biggest game. They've given up 56, 34, and 56 points in three years. How do you fix that on Will Muschamp? This is Will Muschamp's fourth year. It's put up or shut up time. I think there are some issues internally, but they've got a chance to be better than they were last year. And on quarterback Jake Bentley, I think Bentley is a good player, tremendous person, but some think he's the second best quarterback on the team behind freshman Ryan Helensky. Will a lot of that... Kind of sounds like Will Muschamp's time at Florida. Um, talking about which quarterback maybe may, may be the best. Uh, injury plague season, uh, really good. Uh, you know, recruit recruit pretty well, but recruiting not living up to the their ability. Uh, and uh, you know, it just sounds a lot of like what uh, we heard from Will Muschamp's time at Florida. Fast forward now, South Carolina. It is different. We know it's different, uh, and, and you really got to you know, dig deeper uh, than that for, for, for problems at South Carolina. Uh, but a lot of the same issues still followed Will Muschamp to, to Columbia. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. The comment where he talks about um, where the coach talks about there being experience and talent on the defensive line, but being really thin on the backside sounds a lot like Florida's offensive line when Muschamp left, where there wasn't really anybody left on that line for for uh, Jim McElwain's first year, where they were basically running a skeleton crew out there for the for the spring game that wasn't really a spring game. So, yeah, I mean, you know, he's talked about all the different things that he learned while he was at Florida, but I'm not sure that we've necessarily seen that. I mean, South Carolina went seven and six last year, but based on their points for and points for against, that's pretty much right in line with what they should have done. So, 
you know, is that good enough at South Carolina? I think that's really the question they're going to have to answer is I think Will Muschamp's a good coach. I don't know that he's necessarily a great coach. Um, and, and if the defense struggles at South Carolina, they're going to have poor records. If the defense is pretty good, then he's probably going to be able to pull out a nine win season, maybe even a 10 win season. But, you know, South Carolina hasn't won the SEC since 1969. So they weren't uh, even the SEC back then. <laughs> well, or they haven't won a conference since 1969. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, the expectations there, I think, are a little bit more tempered than they would be at Florida. So um, is he doing a good job? I mean, he's doing a decent job. I don't know that uh, the, one of the problems is, is that Steve Spurrier set such a high expectation mm. for what they could do there. And, and Muschamp wasn't Spurrier when he was at Florida. And I don't imagine that he's, that he's going to be Spurrier there at South Carolina either. And then I'll kind of go back to when we were talking about Kentucky a little bit too. And I, you know, I picked Kentucky to finish higher than South Carolina in the SEC East because of the schedule South Carolina has. And that one of the coaches mentioned South Carolina would be a better team this year, but the record probably won't show it. One of the nation's toughest schedules, if not the toughest schedule in the nation. Can Jake Bentley take that next step given the opponents? And maybe that's not fair on him, but you know, you're you're judged by wins and losses. And you know, his final season in Columbia, that's you know, his his overall look from South Carolina fans are going to be based a, a lot on this season and, and that tough schedule. Uh, you know, And the defense has to come around and start being a Will Muschamp defense. And Bentley threw a SEC high 14 inter, SEC high fourteen interceptions last year. Um, Gamecocks committed 21 total turnovers, second most in the conference. Six of those interceptions were in the red zone. So you're talking at that point, you're talking about, taking points off the board in those situations. And with Bentley's experience, you've, you've got, uh, you, you got to, you got to be better there in the red zone and, and not give up some points. Well, I know you're higher than on Bentley uh, than most. And I, you know, maybe I'm, I'm judging too harshly here though, but um, you know, if South Carolina wants to look better record wise, he's going to have to get better given who the game cost will face this year. Yeah, I mean, just coming into the Florida game, they're going to be playing Alabama at Missouri versus Kentucky and at Georgia. So, <laughs> so you know, and, and they don't really have any breaks there. I mean, it's straight from at Georgia to to play in Florida. So, two, um, two of the top three teams in the nation. Right yeah, there. and well, and then on the tail end, they got Texas A and M and they got Clemson. So, yeah. it, it is it is not an easy schedule for them this year. I, I think you know, I, I think two things can be true. One is that Bentley can be better and the offense can be better. And at the same time, the statistics are going to make it look like they're worse just because of who they're playing, right? I mean, if you get three cupcakes, that makes a big difference. But South Carolina is a little bit like Florida in that they, you know, Florida always has FSU on the schedule and South Carolina always has Clemson. So, you know, they're going to have a difficult schedule. They just don't have the history that Florida does, nor the talent level. Uh, though the talent level has been pretty good under Muschamp. So, yeah, I mean, I think Bentley is going to have to play really, really well, and he's going to have to play lights out if they're going to win considerable stuff in the SEC. But, I mean, if you're, if you're on South Carolina, you say you've got an opportunity here that if you win – you know, if they go 11 and one, if they go 10 and two with that schedule, they're going to be a really high level, high level bowl game. So I don't think they're going to roll over and just, and just play dead though. Alabama may make them roll over and play dead at some point early in the year. But yeah, I mean, inevitably Bentley is going to be the one who makes this move last year. They were 55th against FBS opponents in yards per rush, 35th in yards per pass. So even though Muschamp relies on the run a lot, um, the run wasn't nearly as efficient as when they threw the ball, but they didn't throw the ball near as much as most programs would, who were that efficient. I mean, you mentioned I'm higher on Bentley. We threw for thir almost 3,200 yards and averaged 8.2 yards per attempt 
we would kill for that from a Florida quarterback this year. In fact, if Franks puts up those kinds of numbers and can put up similar rush yards, you know, Florida's going to, we're going to be looking at a quarterback who we say is basically playing the equivalent to Jake Fromm the last couple of years. So, um, Bentley's a decent quarterback. I don't think he's great, but he certainly has the ability to carry them in a few games, but he's going to need some help. Yeah, he does need more help from the run game, uh, as you mentioned there. Uh, of course, you know, four of the team's top five rushers are back, led by senior Rico Dowdle. Dowdle only really had 654 rushing yards, and the coaches think he's capable of more. Um, wasn't fully healthy, healthy in the spring. Seniors Mon Denson and A.J. Turner, they were the second and fourth leading rushers uh, last year, looked better in the spring. But, you know, they they, would rather, they probably prefer uh, to get a dependable back out of that group, preferably Dattle. Uh, he didn't reach the 50-yard mark in any of South Carolina's losses last year, so that should know how important he is to what they want to do on offense. Uh, they do have help at wide receiver, even though Debo Samuel's gone. He, he's taken away 882 receiving yards and 11 touchdowns. But Brian Edwards, you get versatility of him. They'll, 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 he'll, he'll kind of be the um, do-it-all wide receiver there. He had 846 receiving yards, so about only 40 less than Debo Samuel. Uh, and, and then Shy Smith, 673 yards. And uh, Ortre Smith, who was limited to two two games last year with an injury, he'll be back as well. Another high on him. Uh, tight end, South Carolina must replace departed Casey Crosby, uh, Jacob August, who combined to make 13 starts last season. Uh, senior Kiel Pollard returns after finishing fifth on the team with 15 receptions for 181 yards and two touchdowns in 2018. And if you move up front and, and the question of uh, of offensive line that followed, will you know that that was a that plague will must champ here at Florida. Uh, four to five starters are back uh, from the Belk Bowl last year uh, for South Carolina, but still overall inexperienced. They have to be better up there uh, and, and help this run game, and eventually that'll lead to helping Jake Billy improve. Yeah, you know, South Carolina's offense wasn't really the problem last year. Yeah. I mean, they were 26th in yards per play. The The difference was they were 56th in points per game, and I think that does indicate that they were a little bit unlucky. I think it also indicates sort of it goes back to Muschamp's MO where he relies on the run too much and the run is inefficient. So um, we'll see. I mean, if, if the four of the five offensive linemen coming back can help move the pile and can make the running game more efficient, I think Bentley's probably good enough to manage the games and win them a few. Um, but if if they don't get any push up front, and they really didn't get very good push up front, they were an average running team last year. Um, you know, they're they're not necessarily going to see a whole lot of success. And and last year their their schedule was nothing like it is this year. So again, I mean, I think if you told them at the beginning of the year that they'd have the 26th ranked offense overall in yards per play, they would absolutely take it. Um, and even if you told them they were going to be 55th in yards per rush, I think they'd take it too. So um, <laughs> I, I think a lot of this really hinges on the offensive line and their ability to hold up against some of these defenses that they're going to play that, quite frankly, are significantly more talented than them. Yeah, you mentioned that it's not really all on the offense. And, hey, heck, their defense is to blame too. Uh, South Carolina gave up the third most yards in the SEC and the fourth most points per game in the SEC last year. You know, you get that's got to drive a coach like Will Muschamp crazy. Uh, but, you know, the underlying reason here, uh, South Carolina had one of those crazy injury years uh, that Will Muschamp's kind of been known, known for. 18 players needing surgery at some point, 16 of them on defense. And that's just insane uh, what, what happened there uh, on that side of the ball from there. They get some help uh, from a guy who wasn't there last year. They may have to rely on a lot on true freshman uh, Zach Pickens. He was a five-star defensive tackle, rated number eight overall by 24-7 sports. He did go through spring practice and did not disappoint. 
It doesn't have to do it alone. They get DJ Wanham healthy after he only played in five games last year. They won four of those games that he played in. Uh, freshman Jacquez Sorrells enrolls this summer, highly rated recruit. Uh, Most Champ uh, did say uh, at some point that you know they're better than they've ever been up front since his time there. Uh, if you move back uh, back to the linebackers as well, they got to get better on even 2018 due to injuries sometimes as well. Ernest Jones missing eight games, other injuries forcing starters like TJ Brunson and Sherrod Green to play more snaps than I was, than was ideal. But those guys kind of lived up to the billing there. Brunson had 106 tackles, 10 and a half for loss, four sacks. Uh, kind of the all SEC caliber player with those stats, and and Green had 73 tackles, three for loss. He's solid too, but others around him need to stay healthy, and those guys need to continue to be dependable. Uh, therefore, you know, defensive backfield that had his own issues last year due to injury, and had to play a lot of young guys there last year. So you hope they can bring that experience over. Recruited pretty well there. Uh, as one of those coaches saying, but they're just not getting the play from that from that group, especially uh, the kind of play Will Muschamp uh, expects there. Uh, the class of that group's J.C. Horn, and uh, so, you know so they got some young guys behind him as well. But uh, Will, it's just uh, it's not living up to the the reputation of a Will Muschamp defense quite yet. No, I mean, they were 74th in points per game last year, and they were pretty much perennially top 10 under Muschamp. Even if the offense couldn't score at all, we knew the defense was going to be reliable, and that just hasn't been the case at South Carolina thus far. And, you know, I mean, some of that is due to injuries. I mean, obviously, in the second half against Florida last year, it looked like they sort of ran out of gas. Some of that is just sort of weird Muschamp mojo. I mean, the tipped pass that that Franks threw that was caught that really sort of saved Florida's season when you think about it, and, and kind of tanked South Carolina's season. I mean, they went seven and six but i think coming into that game they were six and three just like florida was and florida went in the opposite direction and and south <laughs> florida went up and south carolina went down from there so um you know but here's the reality is that they were 26th in yards per play on offense they were 60th in yards per play on defense the defense is the reason why um is the reason why south carolina went seven and six last year not the offense they scored 391 points and gave up 354 mm. and when you compare that to florida florida gave up 260 last year that's the difference between a 10 and 3 team and a 7 and 6 team and it's the defense that needs to improve now you do you do make a good point that those defensive backs got an awful lot of experience last year um, because of all the injuries same thing at linebacker and so you wonder with with the five star coming in at nose tackle and javon kinlaw there on the defensive line and then some of the experience that they have on the back end are they going to be considerably better again i think they probably will be it's just they're playing a lot better players, <laughs> players as well and you know we talk a lot about recruiting and we harp on it quite a bit and we do that for a reason so their average over the last four years is 20.3 nationally and you say hey that's really good that should be a team that's you know 10 and 10 and 3 9 and 4 just about every year but they're 8.3 is their average in the sec Mm. So basically, when they play an SEC game, there's a 50% chance the team they're playing is more talented than they are. <laughs> and so, and if you look in the East, I guess you'd have to say Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, I guess would be the three in front of them there. Yep. Yep. And so they really have to take advantage of those teams in the East because when they go across conference, um, that is not the case. And that is certainly the case this year with Alabama and Texas A&M. So they're going to be they're going to be underdogs in a bunch of the games they play this year. And um, I think rightfully so. So I'm not sure this is a this is a year where anyone's going to be able to be able to really evaluate Will Muschamp and the job he's done. I think that's probably next year after they sort of lick their wounds from 2019. Yeah, I want to get there before before we move on to Georgia. Yeah, I I don't think, you know. Even some colossal failure this year, I think Will Muschamp probably gets another year because of this schedule. 
you know, a colossal failure could maybe you know could get the get the ball rolling. Maybe I I doubt it. You know, there I think you probably have to give him another year to see if he can prove himself without the the, the, the tough schedule that they have this year. But uh, all in all, I think Will Muschamp uh, should be safe there uh, at least for another year. Well, let's move on. Let's move on to the big one. This is the uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, the game everybody has circled. Uh, all the offseason trolling from 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 both schools, both fan bases, uh, and uh, you know the, the the class of the East right now. And, until Florida can prove different, uh, are these Georgia Bulldogs? And let's see what the opposing coaches have to say about that team. From the Athlon side of things right now, I think it's fair to say Kirby got Georgia to the Alabama level faster than Nick Saban got Alabama there. Before I move on, completely disagree with that. <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, they're, I mean, they're come, pretty good at blowing games to Alabama. I don't that uh, much like you know the second. You can compare their second years if you want to at, at the respective schools. Nick Saban takes Alabama to the SEC championship game, loses to Florida. Florida goes on to win a national championship game. Uh, you know that was the de facto national championship game there. Uh, of course, I think both of those teams go on to beat Oklahoma. Florida did, and then you know Georgia blows the national championship game. But in year three, Nick Saban's hosting or uh, hoist, hosting a national championship trophy, and Georgia's getting beat by Alabama in the SEC championship game. So don't sit here and tell me that Georgia is on par with Alabama in year three of Nick Saban as Kirby Smart in year three. They're right behind. They're not far. But no, he did not reach the, the he did not get to an Alabama level faster than what Nick Saban did at Alabama. Uh, you're only saying that because they were unmotivated against Texas, Dave. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> no, I mean it's a ridiculous statement. I don't, that must have been an Auburn coach who said that just to tick off Saban. <laughs> well, if, if he did that, uh, he, he better feel sorry for himself because uh, they won't hold back. <laughs> <laughs> well, continue uh, on with some people, some, yeah, some we'll talk that's not ridiculous. Yeah, okay. So, uh, uh, so he uh, finishes up with they're ready to roll. Uh, this is a SEC and national title contender on paper. Obviously, they lose some guys, some wideouts, but on offense, Kirby's recruiting already has this program in reload mentality. It's scary how fast they've recruited. There's a few spots you can look at where they need someone to step in, center and receiver. At tight end, they got hit with another early declare and Isaac Nada, and a transfer of Luke Ford, but there's competition at every spot. The two young backs, James Cook and Zemir White, look exactly what you expect in a Georgia backfield. They may not miss a beat. I think with Jake Fromm coming back and Jim Chaney leaving, they're going to throw the ball a little bit more. I think they'll spread out, spread it out a little bit more uh, in their base stuff. The biggest question mark is James Coley as a first-time play caller in the SEC. That's going to be scary at first. It's easy to second-guess that job until you're the one doing it. Uh, let's see. But Jake Fromm helps you out there. He's comfortable with his stuff, and I don't expect them to change much of, much of their base stuff. Just run what you already know he's good at. Really impressed by the secondary and linebacker play. The kid, Monty Rice, could have a breakout season. They've got an absolute freak at the nose and sophomore Jordan Davis. This is the best roster, both talent and depth in the division, and the first or second best in the league with Alabama. They'll develop that defense just fine. Just comes down to play calling and that SEC title game. Um, before I move on to Lindy's, uh, I kind of do want to go here and a lot of you know talk of uh, you know I'll get into some of the coordinator the coordinator changes and all that stuff, but 
we know how much Georgia lost that wide receiver and you know, James Coley, what this coach says, likes to spread it out, maybe get receivers more involved. I think if he tries to do that, that's really going to be a disservice to what Georgia has up front on the offensive line. I know you have Jake Fromm. I'm a big fan of Jake Fromm and his play and the way he plays. But until they get those questions figured out at receiver, I think you have to rely on that run game, Will. Well, and I think that's especially true in in that they need to protect from too, because if they get an injury to from, the season goes downhill really, really fast. Just because there's not really anybody behind him. I mean, who are they going to put in if something happens to from? So you have to be able to protect him, and one of the ways you protect him is by having a strong running game. I'm going to be really interested to see what they do with the change in offensive coordinator. I mean, last year and even two years ago, it was pretty obvious that from liked to go into the outside to his wide receivers, and it wasn't until they started going inside. Donata in that game against Florida, they were really able to move the ball. And it was almost like they did it because they just couldn't move the ball any other way, doing it the way that uh, doing it the way that Fromm prefers. It'll be interesting to see whether they whether they exploit mismatches over the over the center of the field a little bit more, whether Fromm has improved there. Because he's got another step to take if he can do that. And if he can do that, then George is going to be really, really hard to beat. All right. And see what the, the coaches that Wendy's talked to had to say here. Um, they said on last season, you know, after Texas beat the hell out of Georgia in the bowl game, Kirby Smart had to take a big look in the mirror. He hangs his hat on defense, and Texas shredded his defense. Oklahoma did the same thing two years ago. That gives people an idea on how to move the football on Georgia's defense. Texas ran it right up their butt. Oklahoma beat them on the perimeter, and you can't say Georgia ain't got players. On this coming up season, uh, Georgia can't backslide. Those fans think they're going to win the national championship every year, <clears throat> 1980. I think Jake Fromm, he's an NFL-style quarterback. Cerebral, can run better than people think. Very accurate thrower. If you gave me one quarterback in this league to pick, he'd be the guy. He makes some bad throws, and he has struggled picking up different coverages, but he is talented. So, Will, the coach there kind of mentions you know, how you maybe can attack uh, this Georgia defense. And, uh, you know, is there an offense besides Alabama? Uh, in the SEC that can take advantage of like a Texas and you, know, and you mentioned the motivation that I'm, I'm sure that did play a part. I'm not, I'm not you know, naive enough to, to, to think it didn't, but Oklahoma two years ago and, and what they were able to do in, in, in Baker Mayfield, I'm not so sure there's another offense beside Alabama that can really test the Georgia defense like that consistently uh, there. So, um, you know, we'll have to kind of see uh, where, where, where that comes from. But, you know, they're, they're right. You know, the Georgia fans have expectations, rightfully so, uh, the way they've been recruiting, the way they've been playing, and the way they've played Alabama tough uh, the last couple of years uh, of having those big expectations. You know, how does Georgia handle the assistant coach changes and, and the expectations for fighting for a college football playoff spot? Yeah, I want to go back to something you said there. Who's picking from over Tua at, at quarterback in the SEC? I mean, technically, uh, no, I, I can't. I don't, I don't hate that fault. Oh, I despise it. I think two is way better. It's not even close. And and I mean, I think, I think it's what you're looking for. If you give me some guy who's in a, if if you're looking for more of if quote unquote pro style, yeah, uh, you know, I, I like what Jake Fromm brings to the table. And and Tua, you know, besides the the, you know, he did get hurt at times last year and, and play had to play through an injury. But if he's out throwing the deep ball and has to re, has to read the defense, you know, he he did struggle at times there last year. Yeah, I mean, what we're really talking about though is a Putting guy who got one one full year under his belt, yeah, and was the Heisman Trophy runner up versus a guy who's been very very good near elite, but hasn't really been. You know, but last year wasn't much better than he was the year before, other than just volume. He threw the ball more. Um, 
I think Fromm's a very, very good quarterback, but I don't think he's in the league with Tua, and I think that, and I think that'll probably be proven out. I, I think he has a step to take if he starts going over the middle of the field, but um, we'll. It, it's been two years, and we'll see whether you can teach an old dog new tricks at this point. And I'm not necessarily sure you're going to be able to. The other thing I think we should talk about is who did George beat last year? Because I mean, they lost to LSU and got waxed by LSU. They before lost you, to and before they you lost. move on. And before you move on for that, Will, I mean, they've struggled with the SEC West teams at once every year. Uh, Kirby's first year, Ole Miss waxed them. Uh, Auburn waxed them in year two. And then LSU last year, so you know the one SEC team a year seems to 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 really get Georgia in the first three years of Kirby. Yeah, but I mean, I guess my point is, is that if you look at, you know, they got waxed by LSU, so they beat South Carolina, but South Carolina wasn't really that great. They were seven and six last year. They got waxed by LSU. They beat Florida in a game that was a lot closer than the score. They beat Kentucky, but I mean, I don't think anybody, you know, Kentucky was a little bit of a paper tiger last year, except for when they played Florida. Um, and then they be- they got beat by Alabama. And they got beat by Texas. So they beat the guys that they should on their schedule, and and basically didn't beat anybody that you would say, hey, these guys are sort of on par. I think that goes back to Kirby. I mean, zero and two in one score games. I even wrote about this earlier this. Uh, earlier this offseason that his record in one-score games is significantly worse than Dan Mullins. His record against elite talent is is worse than Dan Mullins. So I, I think it starts to point to Kirby, and that's the place I'd start to look if they struggle, just because, you know, this is his team at this point. It's his recruits. And, you know, winning 11 games a year with the kind of recruiting they have isn't good enough. And that's an interesting statement to say <laughs> that 11 wins isn't good enough, but it's not. 11 wins isn't good enough when you're recruiting at the level Georgia is. You need to win national championships. And if Saban's sitting in the way and you can't beat him, well, you know, that says something about uh, – about areas that you need to develop as a coach. On offense, uh, led by Jake Fromm, of course, we'll get into him a little bit more. Uh, he's you know, 23 and four as a starter, uh, 64.9% completion percentage, um, unquestioned leader on, on offense now, and you know should be among among the nation's best quarterbacks there. And you know, there's no talk of a quarterback, but uh, or of a guy behind him this year that's going to try and take his job. And uh, I, you know, I think he's up there uh, as a. I think he's up there as an elite quarterback right now with with, with the record that he has and, and what he's able to to show there. Um, you know, maybe it was a little bit more consistent than you go back and look at that LSU game last year, and, and that was a, a pretty bad game. And another one we pointed to uh, going into the uh, the Florida game last year, but uh, he was able to bounce back uh, and have a pretty good finish uh, to, to to the year. And um, so, you know, surrounded by great running backs on the offensive line, of course, he'll have to he'll have to he'll have to help the wide receivers come along. I, I think until that group uh, gets get, gets more games under their belt. You know, and as you said, Georgia better hopes he stays healthy behind him. Uh, their their season falls apart if he goes down. I I I'm putting it plainly that that way. I I, I, know, I know they got a lot of talent, uh, but the schedule is pretty tough this year for Georgia. And he goes down at any point the first half of the season. Uh, I think their their I think their entire season is, is shy after that. Now loaded backfield. DeAndre Swift coming off, uh, you know, uh, 1,049 yard season. Uh, wasn't fully healthy there. Player to watch out for is Amir White, highly touted running back. Um, uh, you know, from last season, he tore his ACL in both knees, uh, most recently in the left knee uh, during last year's preseason. Uh, he'll be great if he can be fully recovered. James Cook looks to be their most versatile back, uh, Dalvin Cook's little brother. Uh, maybe their most elusive back there uh, as well. We know the biggest questions at wide receiver 
good players left early for the NFL. McCole Harmon, Robbie Ridley, Isaac Nada, um, adding up with others to mean that more than 60% of the production from catching and receiving yards was lost uh, at receiver and the tight end spots. Then Jeremiah Holland, Holloman was the potential number one target after catching 24 passes uh, and averaging over 17 yards per catch last year. He really burnt Florida uh, last year in, in the game. He's dismissed. He's off the team after an off-field issue. So Demetrius Robertson, uh, he was getting a lot of hype last, last season going into camp, uh, having transferred from Cal late last summer. He had 50 catches at Cal as a freshman in 2016. Um, he has the ability to be the go-to guy for Fromm. He's just got to kind of put it all together uh, there. He'll, he'll, he'll kind of be looked at as, as to be the leader uh, as fall camp comes to a close and, and the season starts uh, there. So, you know, they, they got you know, good players coming in. Dominic Blaylock, George Pickens were five-star recruits and four-star uh, uh, you know, Young there. And they got Miami transfer, Lawrence Cager, Offer good size at the position, you know. So you know, they got options at receiver. This leads me a lot of ex- experience to come around there. Uh, and of course, you got to go up front in that, in that offensive line. Probably the nation's best front five. Um, Sam Pittman has recruited so well there. A handful of five star recruits are right now kind of just trying to find their way uh, over, over the starting five there. 80% of the offensive line starts you know, return from bookend tackles. Andrew Thomas at left tackle, Isaiah Wilson at right tackle. Uh, that's a pair of starters, returning starters that could be first-round picks next year, Will. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we mentioned last year during the preview that just about everybody on the offense was a five-star recruit except for Fromm, who was like 45th or something overall in the country, and it's pretty much the same deal this year. Um, you know, I, I think the the – the issues that they have at wide receiver will probably resolve themselves by the time they get to Florida. I mean, you look at their schedule, they're at Vanderbilt, then Murray state, and then Arkansas state. Notre Dame is maybe where they might slip up just because that's sort of their first big test, but then at Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky, and then Florida. I mean, if there are anything other than six and one coming to that Florida game, I'd be really, really surprised. And you know, last year offense wasn't the problem. They were fifth in yards per play against FBS opponents, 13th in points per game. Um, you know, the offense was plenty good. It was better than the year before. Um, I, I think you should expect them to be in that range again, unless the new offensive coordinator screws things up. And the, it, it's a little bit of a risk to change the offensive coordinator at this point or to, you know, to, to make that change and, and, and bring in these kinds of things, bring in new schemes and things like that, just because Fromm's pretty good. He's got, had two years in that system and, and they were very good last year. I think it's much more likely they take a step back on offense than it is that the offense gets considerably better. Yeah, and I, I think you know, looking at that and continuing the conversation of um, you know going from Jim Cheney to to James Coley here and how that affects the the, the offense. I mean, you think Coley opens up the offense more, but you know with that running game and the questions, um, the questions they have at receiver, then I, I'm not sure he can he can open it up as much as he wants to, or much of his history suggested that that he does. You know, the Georgia run game is is going. They'll hit they'll hit some big plays down the field that. I'm just trying to look at a point that when the run game isn't humming along, there's there's going to come a, a a time this season when when that happens. You know, can they pass enough to win a game? I mean, it may not ever come to that, but if it does, you know, will the passing game be far enough along to, to pull a game out? And, and Coley had two good seasons uh, at Miami as offensive coordinator where they finished 11th nationally in yards per play in 2013 and 2014. Didn't do that well versus Florida in 2013, but Miami did win that game, but the stats were ugly 
uh, in a 21-16 Miami win. Only 10 first downs, 1 of 11 on third down, 212 yards of offense, 162 yards passing, 50 yards rushing. Uh, and Florida had five turnovers in that game, handed Miami the game. That was six years ago. It doesn't mean a whole lot you know, in 2019, but maybe – Maybe can shed some light on you know on his good stats at, where his at, where his good stats actually came from uh, in that year. You know it wasn't against a really good Florida defense that 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 year. Uh, and then fast forward to 2015, Miami offense fell to 48 yards per play. So you know kind of a fall there in, in his third season. He's got more talent right now than he's ever had as an offensive coordinator uh before and adjusting that talent adjusting to that talent shouldn't be so hard uh you know unless he just gets past happy will yeah it's interesting that you say that because last year when games were on the line they took the ball out of Fromm's hands that was really sort of a you know in all the film that i looked at this year or this past off season about georgia that was really what it boiled down to is that the the ball was not in their best player's hands when the game was on the line. In fact, in some cases, I mean, there was one play in particular, a diagram where they brought in Hardman from the outside to take a direct snap and spread and, and spread from out wide. And then it basically telegraphed to Alabama, Hey, here comes a run. And you can't do that. Maybe that's why they've made this change so that they have the opportunity to do that. But in that case, it's not as though Fromm came up short. It's they didn't give him the chance to actually do it. And the same thing in the national championship game two years ago, um, it was the same story that they got conservative in the third quarter. And you got to wonder, is that because of, is that because of Cheney or is that because of smart? And, you know, if it's because of smart, then making this change doesn't help anything. If it, if it was because of the offensive coordinator, then maybe it helps them open it up. But, you know, they scored 530 points last year. That's an awful lot of points to score. And they really only – they had two one-score games. They happened to lose those both of those games, but they were against good teams. So – you know, I, I think that's maybe the thing that we need to look for is when it gets tight, do they do they mm. default to running the ball in areas where you think they ought to put the ball in Fromm's hands? I mean, he's their best player. They have to put the ball in his hands late in the game. Otherwise, if they telegraph the runs coming, you know, good teams are going to be able to stop it. All right, we'll move to the other side of the ball and uh, on defense. Uh, they were good, not great over, overall. 25th nationally in yards per play at 4.9.4. Uh, and, you know, the Run defense, 49th nationally in, in, in uh, yards allowed per rush at, four, at around four yards a, a carry there. Jordan Davis uh, got put into the starting lineup, bolstered the, the run defense the latter half of the season. Uh, he's back this year. DeAndre Walker will be re- replaced by a couple uh, elite recruits and, and Nolan Smith, rated by by some as the nation's top overall prospect, and Jermaine Johnson uh, ranked as a nation's top JUCO. Uh, Nicobe Dean, another five-star who, who's already drawn Roquan Smith comparisons, uh, he'll shore up uh, inside linebacker spot. So, so the performance of Georgia's defense likely rest, uh, you know, in, in the front and back. And for all their good recruiting, a weak spot can be said for uh, on defensive line. And even some of the highly ranked players who struggle with injuries or just kind of been too consistent there, um, you know that you know they left the team relying on Davis, who was a he was a three-star and actually among the lowest-rated members of their 2018 class. Uh, this year they got five-star Travon Walker uh, in, in the fold. He should help, but you know Georgia needs you know, they need their standouts to emerge. You know, there's guys up front to kind of live up to, to the billing. Uh, they have trouble you know r- rushing and getting to the quarterback as well. Uh, and 
and kind of you can see the difference uh, on defensive line when you look at Alabama and Clemson, and then you look at Georgia. That if you look at a weakness of this team and maybe why they're not uh, they're not hosting hoisting the trophy at the end of the season, you might can look at defensive line uh, as a reason there. Secondary. Uh, recruited well too, and they need some of those guys to, to come back uh, and play better. Tyson Campbell, five-star recruit in 2018, struggled as a true freshman last year. Uh, eventually got pulled. Uh, Free safety Richard LeCount as a five-star by some in 2017. He had issues with tackling. Uh, those two will start the season likely again. Um, they can, you know, if they can put that all together. You know, Georgia's defense will be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, last year they were good, but they weren't great. And then the question is really, can they be great? So two years ago, they were seventh in yards per play. They were ninth in yards per play on offense. And that's the team that made it to the national championship game and pushed Alabama to the brink. Um, last year, like you mentioned, they were 29th in yards per play on defense and fifth on offense. The offense actually got a little bit better. The defense took quite a step back. And for, for perspective, they gave up 269 points last year. Florida gave up 260. So for all intents and purposes, Florida and Georgia had identical defenses last year. And it was, and the difference between the two teams was really on the offensive side of the ball, and and that's what we saw in the game when Florida played Georgia. But the last four games of the year for Florida, the offense was much more like what Georgia was doing. And so, if that offense comes to Jacksonville next year, then they're going to be in for a dogfight. I just, you know, I, again, the, the strength is on the backside of at the defensive backs you mentioned, the returning starters Campbell, but particularly Reed and LeCount, but. You do wonder, can they recover from, like, do they trust each other when things get tough? Because the last two years, they've they've had a backup quarterback from Alabama come in, and when things started to sort of snowball downhill, they snowballed pretty quickly, and they weren't able to recover. And, you know, is what that the mentality? What you're, telling, what you're telling me is Emory Jones should uh, play, the, play the Georgia game. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you that whatever it takes to win the game, yeah. but I mean, you know, there, there is a benefit to having a running quarterback against a defense like this. Um, Franks has shown that he's a willing runner, but you know, Jones, they, they even had a package for him against Georgia this past year. And I think mm -hmm. they probably will again this year as well. I think we're going to see Emory Jones in just about every game this year, because there's no red shirt to, to protect mm -hmm. him from. So we're going to see him quite a bit, but I, I still think this boils down to mindset. I think Georgia has everything that they need to win a national championship based on based on the talent on the team and the fact that they've got a quarterback who's now got three years of, of starting experience in the SEC. And the question is, do they use the losses they've had the last couple of years to motivate themselves, or do they start pointing fingers when things go downhill? And if they start pointing fingers when things go downhill, then that really gives Florida an opportunity to slip in there. All right, and that'll do it for the preview of the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, the Gators' biggest ACC East rival and the game that uh, most of us are pointing to uh, more so than any other game uh, this year. Let's move on to the last two opponents for the Gators, Vanderbilt, Missouri, and what the coaches have to say about the Vanderbilt Commodores here. Uh, here we go. From Athlon, what's, what's the offense going to look like? Are they confident about this kid from Ball State, Riley Neal, at quarterback? He's probably the most talented guy they got if they can get comfortable in their system. The running back, Kashawn Vaughn, could be one of the best in the league this year. You like everything when you see when he runs the ball. He's as mean as, as, as he is disciplined. You love seeing that. The tight end, Jared Pickney, is a really great player. So they've got some chances to help the quarterback. I expect they'll try to slow it down. They've lost some of the offensive line, so they're lacking experience, but they have enough depth to get by. Replacing Kyle Sherman, offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig is, is, are, are the biggest things they need to address. Their defense could be even better this year without most of the guys coming back. 
Derek Mason stays involved in their defense so much that you know they're always going to play above their ability. They'll be really young up front, but we expect them to be nasty every year. This, the secondary could struggle for a while. A guy like uh, Joe Juan Williams will be really hard to replace. Defensive coordinator Jason Tarver does a great job, too. He's a solid. A, that's a solid group of defensive coaches as you can find. The problem for Vanderbilt as a program is that they're good but never great. The division keeps getting better. They're staying the same as far as raw talent because of the expectations there no one has noticed. They're beating Tennessee and going to bowls, but Tennessee is getting better. Kentucky, South Carolina, everyone is recruiting better in the bottom of that division than Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is status quo. They can catch the hell out of three-star kids and beat better programs who have their own issues. But the East is getting better and better. At a certain point, you have to add more than just project guys. You need raw talent to consistently win in the SEC. And Lindy's last couple thoughts here on Derek Mason. As long as Derek Mason is the head coach, they're always going to play with effort and focus. But at the end of the day, the SEC is close to the NFL as it gets in talent, and that catches up with you. Mason does a good job, but he needs to hire a guy to tell him what to say and when to say it. <laughs> he has a knack for saying things to motivate other teams. I think he does a hell of a job coaching, especially on defense. On um, the quarterback play, their quarterback, Kyle Shermer, was one of the top three in the league last year, and I don't think they can replace him. Elijah Lipscomb is a great receiver, but they need quarterback to get them the ball. Kashawn Vaughn is a great running back. I'm not sure about quarterback Riley Neal. He went to Ball State for a reason. So <laughs> uh, a lot to digest there, Will, but the, the just because of what happened against Florida last year, and the whole Derek Mason does a good job, but he needs to hire a guy to tell him what to say and when to say it. Kind of reminds me of the time he came on the field last year, kind of riled up Florida when that game wasn't really going Florida's way. Uh, there was a kind of, you know, a, a, a hit that Vanderbilt deemed dirty. Uh, and Derek Mason spoke out about it to, to the coaching staff, Todd Grantham in particular, Dan Mullen gets involved. They a little bit of jawing back and forth. And as they said, probably riled up Florida and helped Florida come back in that game. Yeah, a little bit, though. I think that narrative is a little bit misleading because Florida still struggled <laughs> until, <laughs> you know, well after that point in the game. And you look at that and say, oh, that probably turned the tables. But um, there were some other things. C.J. McWilliams actually made the key play in that game later on, you know, early in the second half that really stopped Vanderbilt, forced him to kick a field goal and allowed Florida the opportunity to come back. But, um, you know, I, I, I think anytime – if Vanderbilt wins that game, everybody says, oh, it's great. He's supporting his players when he thinks there's a dirty hit. If if Vanderbilt struggles and they say, oh, he riled up Florida. So um, I think a lot of it really, really hinges on how the other team is playing when it comes to Vanderbilt. And they can catch people who are sleeping. They can catch them napping. Certainly they've caught Kentucky or caught Tennessee the last couple of years. Um, but it, it's hard for a team like Vanderbilt to catch Florida, to catch Alabama, to catch Georgia and be able to just outplay them consistently over a full 60 minutes. I think that's what we saw last year. Absolutely. So two bowl games in three years for them, three straight wins over in-state rival Tennessee means something at Vanderbilt, but uh, you know, it is, it is a team looking for more. They gave Florida all they could handle last season, you know, before Keyshawn Vaughn went down with injury as well. Uh, their offense finished fourth in the SEC in yards per play last year. So kind of surprising there for Vanderbilt, uh, higher finished in any season, uh, under uh, under James Franklin. Uh, so the, the Commodores averaged 28.5 points a game, uh, their best average since 1950, and 411.2 yards a game, their most since 1974. Uh, that was led by a four-year starting quarterback, Kyle Shermer. He's off to the NFL. 
his offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig, Ludwig called plays now under Kyle Whittingham at Utah. So good news for whoever replaces Shermer. Uh, most think Riley Neal, but you got Deuce Wallace there as well. Uh, it's how plenty of weapons around them. Uh, Kalaja Lipscomb led the SEC with 87 catches a year ago at wide receiver position, 916 yards, nine touchdowns. Uh, tight end Jerry Pickney was second on the team with 50 receptions for 774 yards and seven touchdowns. He's back. You get running back uh, Sean Vaughn. He needed only 157 carries to get 1,244 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns. 7.92 yards per carry for Keshawn Vaughn, almost eight yards every time he touched the ball. That was third nationally among backs with at least 150 carries. That was only behind Clemson's Travis Etienne and Memphis's Daryl Henderson. Uh, he's a big playback. We saw it firsthand uh, when Vanderbilt was playing in Florida. He ranked second in college football with 10 runs of at least 40 yards last year, Will. Yeah, I mean, Vaughn obviously is a really, really good player. And when he went out, that really is probably the thing that we ought to credit for Florida being able to come back and win that game last year, particularly since none of our linebackers appeared to be able to stay in a gap to save their lives in that particular game. I, I, I think really, though, I do think that some of Vaughn's success needs to be given to Shermer in some capacity, mm -hmm. that having a fourth-year starter who can keep the defense honest when they focus on Vaughn is an important aspect, and I really think that's where they're going to be in some trouble this year with Riley Neal. I mean, he threw 335 passes last year and averaged 5.7 yards per attempt, Ooh. and it's not as if he was running all over the place either. He had 86 rushes for 357 yards, 4.2 yards per rush is pretty close to what Felipe Franks had last year. His yards above replacement was minus 1.12, which is really close. It's a little bit better than Frank's had in 2017, but not by a whole lot. Um, so Neil at Ball State was bad, and now he's going to be starting in the SEC. I, I think the Vanderbilt offense is going to struggle. I think people are going to be able to focus on Vaughn. Can hey. Vaughn stay healthy, I think, is the difference between them going maybe four and nine and one and ten is really sort of what it boils down to here. I mean, they'll go better than one and ten because there'll be some cupcakes on the schedule. But you know, they start off with Georgia, Purdue, and LSU, and they're at Purdue. Um, and you talk about Neil. I mean, hey, game one, you playing against Georgia? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at least there there won't be any expectations. But you know, I mean, Georgia at Purdue and LSU. I mean, Purdue isn't a great Big Ten team, but it's a Power Five team, and it, it's entirely possible that they start out the year zero and three. And coming back, having to beat Northern Illinois, um, and then UNLV to sort of salvage their season, and uh, you know that's probably what you're looking at this year. Just because I don't, I don't, I think Shermer helped the offense be be good last year, and with Shermer gone, I think that's a real issue. Yeah, offensive line kind of goes behind that too, uh, filling three vacated starting spots, but have some experience returning seniors, Sejong. Uh, at five and juniors, Devin Cochran with 13, Cole Clemens 12 combined for 30 starts a year ago, and Cochran anchoring that right tackle spot there. So uh, on offense, uh, Vanderbilt has some pieces. They they have some skill player pieces. You, they they have a running back that you know could play anywhere. Uh, one of the SEC's best tight ends, one of the SEC's best wide receivers, but a quarterback probably will hold them back, and we'll see you know if those skill players can kind of. You know, uh, make the best of uh, the quarterback situation uh, there. Will, uh, going through and reading what there's a lot of those coaches had to say there, they speak to they speak to, to Derek Mason and getting the best out of his players, and you know, we know he's a defensive coach. They had the second-worst defense in the SEC last year. 
and if you're if you're a Vanderbilt, you know it's kind of surprising uh, with Derek Mason being that coach and what the reputation for him being is. And yeah, you know, maybe not as bad as the stats were, but it, it it wasn't working, and it really wasn't working. I mean, it, it got downright ugly at times. The offense was good enough to keep pace in, in a lot of games, but they were 0 for five when allowing more than 31 points. I mean, you know, a lot of teams are going to be like that. You give up 30. But in today's college football, teams are going to score points. So you you got to you, you got to be able to keep pace as well. Uh, big culprit pass rush that didn't do nearly enough uh, to consistently get in the backfield. Uh, and, you know, some good pieces uh, are returning at linebacker. Uh, the, the, but the uh, front three needs to generate more pressure uh, there. Um, uh, Dayo Odeimbo, a good start. You know, that um, – Bulk, they got some big guys across the line, but something's got to start kicking for that defense. Four of the top five tackers are gone. Demetri Moore, all-star potential at one of the inside linebacker spots. He's back. Safety combination of Frank Coppett, Tay Daly uh, is pretty good to, to work with. Uh, overall, though, after allowing almost more than a thousand yards more than the 20, 2017 defense, uh, you know, played in the bowl game. That had something to do with it as, as well. But six starters are gone, going to be a rebuild. And, Will, biggest key uh, for Vanderbilt, third down stops, a lack of consistent pass rush, like I uh, mentioned. But that 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 led to uh, a problem of simply not being able to get off the field. Their defense allowed teams to convert 46% of third downs. Yeah, well, I mean, this has been an issue ever since they got waxed by Alabama a couple years ago. I mean, basically from that game on, the, oh, defense, yeah. has just, the defense has just been terrible. You know, they went two and seven following that Alabama loss and then obviously six and seven last year. And there were a couple of cupcakes in there. Um, you know, they just couldn't get off the field last year and they were 106th, over, you know, against FBS opponents in yards per rush, but 50 and a hundredth overall, but then they were 57th in points per game. So the reality is they were actually a little bit lucky last year and probably from a, from a points perspective, um, gave up less points than you would expect them to give up based on the underlying statistics. The The real the real problem is if you can't stop people up front in the SEC, you're going to get drilled over and over and over again. And they're 54th overall in national recruiting ranking, and they've been 14th, 12th, 14th, and 14th the last four years in conference recruiting ranking. So anybody that they play in the SEC is more talented than Vanderbilt, and that's just mm-hmm. sort of the – they're always staying behind um, – you know, they're always going to be behind the eight ball against just about everybody they play in conference. I think that's what we're going to see this year. And the nice part is, is when you have a third year or a fourth year starter, like they've had in Sherman the last couple of years, he can paper over some of those issues. And the same thing on defense. They've had some pretty good linebackers there. But this year, they're a three-four scheme, and three of their four linebackers are new. Dimitri Moore is the only returning starter there. So, uh, again, I, I don't know that you necessarily see that there's a whole lot of a whole lot of room for improvement, other than that they were so bad last year that you kind of figure they have to improve a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I said, uh, you know, I like what Derek Mason's done there at Vanderbilt. He, they are somewhat relevant uh, in the SEC, more so. You know, before James Franklin there, they were a laughing stock. Uh, you know, he, he comes in, takes over for, for James Franklin and, and everything that he was able to do. I, I don't I don't consider Vanderbilt a laughing stock anymore, uh, especially you know lately now in, in the state of Tennessee, they've actually been to been to school <laughs> to to kind of uh, you know uh, make headway there, beating Tennessee three years in a row. So you know they're not the laughing stock they used to be uh, there. They they do play better than you know being ranked dead last in, in recruiting uh, in the SEC. And I know they're looking for more. You know bowl games. 
for what you do there uh, are kind of a great goal. You know, nobody's ever going to pick Vanderbilt necessarily to, 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 to go out and win the SEC, the SEC East, but uh, the, the program is relevant under Derek Mason. Well, absolutely. And, and again, I think this is, they're sort of like Kentucky, right? I mean, Kentucky had a really good year last year, goes 10 and three. And I think we all expect them to probably take a step back this year just because they have to build over four-year cycles. And so Shermer came in four years ago and was the starter as a true freshman and really didn't play well at all, was below average his sophomore year. His junior year, he was average. And his senior year, he was above average. And you sort of see that in terms of Vanderbilt's ability to make make bowl games and, and ability to to move the needle in the SEC. And now they're sort of starting over. And I do wonder whether they'll go with somebody else other than Neil at quarterback, just because it's important for them to sort of build over a multi-year period, as opposed to bringing in a grad transfer, though, obviously they've, they brought in Neil and I expect him to play. So um, no, I think six and seven at Vanderbilt's pretty good, depending upon what the schedule looks like. And, and I think Mason's done a pretty good job there. Obviously, I think Franklin did a real good job there. Um, but, I, but Franklin had also really sort of ramped up recruiting there as well. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that Mason has really been able to replicate. So, um, you know, Vanderbilt is a nice team. I don't know that they are um, – they're not somebody that Florida should ever fear. Um, and they are coming into this game having played Missouri and then at South Carolina. Um, most of their rough games are there earlier in the year. So they should be reasonably rested when they play Florida. This is one of those that it would be easy for Florida to overlook. But I think Florida sort of overlooked them a little bit last year and was still able to come out on top just because of the difference in talent. All right. And let's go to the uh, our, our last preview in the team, Florida. Better not overlook again, Will. <laughs> that's the team that's been a thorn in Florida's side ever since they've joined the SEC, and that is the Missouri Tigers uh, here. Let's see what coaches have to say about them here. Losing Drew Locke is massive for them. He may he, he might have been the best quarterback in the SEC besides or maybe even including Tua. Uh, what's Derek Dooley going to do with Kelly Bryant? He can be a special talent, but you need to build around him. He's not Locke. If Dooley is smart, they're going to bring in a lot of stuff Bryant did at Clemson rather than fit him into Locke's shoes. They could have a really solid backfield with Bryant and the running back, Larry Roundtree. He might be the sleeper running back in all of college football or at least this conference. They were really banged up there last year, but he caught on well. If they can stay healthy running the ball, they've got a great receiving core. All their top production guys are back. The offensive line is solid enough for returning guys that they could be really good right away. Barry Odom is the secret weapon on defense. He gets a group of okay players and just a few legit SEC guys, and then they're always in good position. They fit gaps really well. They're always where they're supposed to be, just very solid. They're not an easy defense to wear down. Jordan Elliott, the kid from Texas, could be really special up front. They really miss Terry Beckner, but they will still be good up front. Always are. I think they can jump in and scare a lot of teams in the conference if they can keep things together with the NCAA investigation. Take away the controversy stuff, and this could be a really fun offensive football team. And last few thoughts here. Uh, on last season, Barry Odom has done a good job. He had the best quarterback in the league last year, Drew Locke, and at critical times in the bowl game uh, and against South Carolina when the game was on the line, Locke didn't play that well. He's, they've had some bizarre play calling and lack of situational awareness uh, on new quarterback Kelly Bryant. They got him. Um we thought he was average at Clemson, but they had great players around him. Playing in the SEC will be a lot different in the ACC. Defensively, the SEC is a lot better on the program. Missouri has been doing it with guys not well-known in recruiting. They developed them. They've won the East twice. Good for them. Gary Pinkle did a great job. 
And that's an indictment on other teams in the East because Missouri was destroyed in the SEC championship game by Alabama and Auburn. Missouri should be happy as six and six or eight and four and take their SEC check. Ooh, that sounds like a bitter SEC, old time SEC coach there, Will. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, yeah, I mean, Barry Odom does get a lot uh, out of that talent there. And I mentioned, and no surprise to, to people who listen to this podcast, and what Missouri is able to do against Florida since they've came into the SEC in 2012, I believe uh, it's close to 500. Uh, kind of quickly, is it four and three or three and four, either way for, for the Gators in, in Missouri uh, since they've come in the conference. So, as like I said, a thorn in Florida side ever since they've uh, come into the conference. And uh, of course, you know, will no bowl game in 2019. There'll be no chance to play for the SEC title in Atlanta. Uh, a host of significant recruiting sanctions, limited contact recruits, seven-week ban on unofficial visits, along with three-year probation for monetary and monetary fines. And they'll impact the, the program. Uh, it was a tutor there who had um, uh, been a little too helpful <laughs> at times. Uh, seniors were, were allowed to transfer, but the wave of exits never happened. Uh, you know, so all that, you know, what we heard about those coaches, you know, Tigers returned more than half of their starters on both sides of the ball. You know, so with that story and the incoming transfer of former Clemson quarterback Kelly Bryant, you know, this team has its share in the spotlight with the storyline surrounding them. Uh, Bryant goes from being replaced by, you know, Trevor Lawrence, a generational uh, talent, to replacing Drew Locke. Uh, so, you know, how that transition plays out will determine whether the Tiger – you know, is, uh, improves uh, under Barry Odom, but you know they, they do kind of have a spotlight on them because of all the storylines of bringing Brian in and NCAA sanctions. Absolutely, they should also have a spotlight on them when it comes to Florida and Florida fans because <laughs> of all the uh, because of how terribly those games have gone the last couple of years. You know, I, I think the McIlwain game was excusable because of all the stuff that was going yeah. on the week before. Uh, the game last year, there was just no excuse. No, no excuse for the way that looked. And obviously you're coming off the Georgia game and you're disappointed and all that sort of stuff. But it's just no excuse. And I expect Florida to come out juiced for this game this year just based on the last couple of years and, and, and what's happened there. Bryant's an interesting case. I don't – like I have my opinions on him, but other people don't seem to agree. I think he's kind of average to below average. That's what he showed in 2017 when he was with Clemson. They had the 40th ranked offense in terms of points per game. In 2018 with Lawrence in charge, obviously not the entire year, but with Lawrence in charge the vast majority of the year, they were fourth. And I think that's kind of representative of the difference in talent between somebody like Bryant and somebody like Lawrence, or even the difference in talent between somebody like Bryant and somebody like Locke. Um, you could really see Locke read defenses, make throws down the field, and and do the right thing against Grantham's defense last year. I don't know whether Bryant has that ability. In fact, I suspect he's going to have more problems in the SEC than he did in the ACC because of the talent level that's out there. And the, the one sort of data point, this is a little bit unfair, but the one data point is 2017 against Alabama. And he just, you know, he went 18 to 36 for 124 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, and then he had 19 rushes for 19 yards. Um, obviously, a lot, of, a lot of really good quarterbacks have been made to look pedestrian against Alabama. But I think it's indicative that, you know, Debo knew he wasn't going to win the national championship with, with Bryant last year. And that's really... 
Um, you know, Locke wasn't necessarily a national championship level quarterback, but I think if you'd put him on a team that had more talent around him, I think that team would have been really, really, really good. If you put him on, say, Texas A&M last year, are the Aggies, comp- are, are the Aggies competing for a championship? Maybe. Um, I think if you put Brian on Texas A&M this year, I'd say, eh, you know, they'll probably be the same as they would be with Kellen Mond. I think that's sort of the same. That's kind of what I'm expecting from Bryant, but certainly we'll see. Yeah, and uh, three starters back on the offensive line uh, to, to help him out. Uh, Larry Roundtree comes back, too, as uh, the junior. Uh, 1,900 rushing yards, 17 touchdowns in two seasons there. Uh, Emmanuel Hall is off to the NFL, big-time receiver for, for Missouri last year. Where the, the remainder of the uh, of the wide receiver core returns, headlined by junior tight end. We'll call him Albert O, and I'm going to try and say his last name. Well, here we go. Albert Okaweg-Bunam. I think I got it. Uh, led the team in touchdowns uh, catches in each of the past two seasons. Uh, Go to target in the red zone uh, for a lot. So you know they they have some talent uh, that, that that can help Brian out. Uh, and I'm sure he'll be a big target. Uh, Alberto will be a big target for for Bryant there. Uh, a year ago, you know Derek Dooley coming in replacing Josh Heupel as offensive coordinator uh, was a big question. Uh, and, and I think with Drew Locke did better than what I thought he would do. You know we slam on Dooley a lot for his days at Tennessee, but. Uh, you know, as one of those coaches said there, and what I just read, there they were inconsistent at, at times. But you know, when they when they were on, they were really on uh, there. So I think that's a, a way to look at it. Offensive yards per play dipped slightly from seven point one three and six nationally to six point two four and twenty fourth nationally. How did Derek do? And one of the coaches mentioned it there. How what does Derek Dooley do? Does he does he try to fit Bryant into his own system? That's probably a mistake. Uh, but can you, if you try and bring over what he did at Clemson, and as we just kind of mentioned, and try that in the SEC, then I really think it, it will be tough. There is talent around him, uh, but well, as you said, it may just be a, a point when you look back at this season and we just kind of see Kelly Brown's an average quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you know, so the the in 2017 when he played the full year for Clemson, he had 398 pass attempts. He had 7.0 yards per attempt, which is basically average, maybe a little bit below average. The thing that I think is surprising to me when I look at his profile is he had 192 rushes for 665 yards, so he averaged three and a half yards per carry. That's just really not all that great. It's not indicative of a dual threat quarterback who's running a who's running a, a read option offense. And so when you ask what is what is Dooley going to do with Bryant, you know, the question is what can Bryant do? Like he's not he's not a dynamic runner in the way you think of a Deshaun Watson or something like that, even though that's who he was following up there at Clemson. And so maybe he gets conflated with him. Um, you know, I think he's more like a Felipe Franks when it comes to being a willing runner, but not necessarily a guy who's going to put the team on his back when he runs the ball. And then you look at him on the passing side of the ball and he wasn't necessarily all that great in 2017 and certainly doesn't have the cannon that Franks has. So um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. And you also wonder, I mean, you know, so when, when Nussmeyer and McElwain came in the first year after, uh, <laughs> after Muschamp, you know, it felt like there had been progress on offense, even though when you looked at the numbers, I'm not sure that that was necessarily true, but it felt sort of new and unique and that, and that they had, they had made a little bit of progress there. Um, and then obviously we saw that things started to atrophy and fall apart over time. It, we'll see whether that happens with Dooley. I think the jury's still out. Like you said, the defense or the offense, you know, got worse from I think would you say seventh to twenty fourth in yards per play, mm-hmm. and 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 so you know it was still a step back. Even though the offense was good, it was still a step back. And at Missouri, you don't have the talent profile to be able to take a significant step back and and still be able to survive. 
Yeah, as those uh, coaches mentioned there, the defense under Barry Odom, usually pretty good there. Uh, six starters and five of the seven tacklers, five of the top seven tacklers are back after finishing 10th in the SEC and allowing 389 yards, 26 points per game. So they can get better. Uh, run defense was solid, pass rush, and, and the plays behind the line of scrimmage uh, weren't consistent uh, with Missouri. Uh, the line, um, the defensive line there, uh, the, on the ends, need some help. Uh, they're fine on the ends, need some help at tackle. A uh, combination of 285 or 280 pound uh, Echo Byers and 255 pound Chris Turner uh, are back on the ends, but neither one of those guys did enough uh, you know, to, to consistently get to the quarterback. Uh, you got six foot four, 250, 245 pound sophomore Jatari Hansford has speed, talent. Uh, to, to, to maybe help him out there uh, after getting his feet wet last season. Terry Beckner, Walter Palmore uh, with the good ones on the inside. They'll be missed, uh, but they got six foot four, 315 pound Jordan Elliott, uh, who's really hot. They're, they're really high on there uh, at Missouri to get to kind of look around and, and look for him to do something. Leading tackler, Kale Garrett, is back in the middle of uh, the linebacking core after making 112 tackles. Uh, Therese Hall, Brandon Lee are, uh, are you know, they're, going after combining for 114 tackles on the outside 22 tackle sophomore nick bolton is a 235 pound you know player who's probably ready to stick into a a bigger role here Uh, and then uh, gerald nathan as well another speedy guy linebacker that they'll try and fit in three starters return at the secondary Uh, that loses safety cam hilton but they get back their third leading tackler in tyree uh, Gillespie and his 48 stops at one of the safety spots. And uh, then uh, uh, Demarcus uh, AC three picks uh, last year. He returns at one corner spot. Uh, Adam Sparks was banged up for a chunk of the season. Uh, still finished uh, uh, six on the team in, in 38 tackles. He'll find a spot somewhere in the secondary. So, Will, I mean, as I said, they, they got pieces. Um, they got to get better up front, create more. Uh, it, the, I've started reading, uh, you know, a lot more. Analytic stuff this past uh, this off season this summer and uh, and you know, mentioning on one of the previous episodes here about creating havoc and it kind of seems that's where Missouri's been lacking just a little bit uh, lately. Kind of they're solid on defense, but if they're going to take that next step, create more turnovers, become more havoc behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, well, they only had six and a half of the team's twenty-seven sacks came from the defensive line. And only 14 and a half of the 73 tackles for loss came from the defensive line last year. So those defensive linemen are returning, but they're going to have to improve quite a bit in terms of getting in the backfield to, to cause, to cause what you're talking about, cause havoc. And the reality is, is that if they have to play a team and wait for them to punt and force three and outs, I don't necessarily know that the defense is good enough to do that on a consistent basis. And particularly last year, they were 91st in yards per pass against. And, and, you know, so you know, they got Rennell Perkins and Joshua Bledsoe back there. You mentioned the safety they got coming back. But end of the day, like, the defensive backfield just hasn't been good enough. And if you're not getting pressure, you're going to give up points. And and that's what we saw last year and and really why they went 8-5 and five instead of going, you know, 9-4, and 10-3. and three. So, um, you know, they're not going to have that margin for error that they had with Locke before. And so, again, I they're going to need the defense to improve this year and particularly improve on the front, getting pressure on the quarterback if, if they're going to have a successful season. Well, by the time we get to that game, it's the late November game. Uh, Florida will have been, you know, coming off Georgia, Vanderbilt. Uh, the Florida will get a bye week, I think, between Missouri and FSU. 
uh, I think. So, you know, that's a mid-November game. Florida travels that game. Could be cold. And we talk about, uh, you know, Florida not necessarily being able to get up from Missouri. And, you know, hopefully everything, you know, Florida has everything in front of them still by the time that game rolls around. And it's mid-November and more than likely a cold day in Columbia, Missouri uh, there. And you and I were talking before we started recording here, you know, Missouri may be riding high uh, also in November because, uh, you know, the beginning of part of their schedule is a little easier and you don't start hitting their tougher opponents till November. Yeah, I mean, maybe so, but they're going to be playing Georgia the week before in Athens. Yeah. So so they may have just gotten their butts whipped the week before, and you know, you don't know what that's going to do to them from a, uh, from a mental perspective. Maybe they come out stronger because of it coming back home, um, and you know, they're trying to salvage their season by taking down Florida, or maybe they come out flat and Florida's able to roll over them. You know, time will sort of tell based on, on what we see in the year. One of the good things I do think is that with Vanderbilt is sort of in the perfect place place this year because if he came off of Georgia to Missouri like he did last year and Florida happens to come out flat, Mizzou, Mizzou obviously showed they had enough weapons to take advantage of it the last couple of years. I don't know that Vanderbilt necessarily does and so having that sort of break between Georgia and Mizzou I think is important for Florida this year. Yeah, absolutely. So Will, you and, I, you and I talk about this when we do the uh, when we do the opponent previews, we get to learn a lot about the opponents that Florida has uh, coming up uh, this year. And uh, kind of the, the takeaway uh, I take of it uh, away from what we've done here is a lot of unanswered question marks at quarterback for, for a lot of the teams Florida will face. You know, can Jay Bentley take that next step? Uh, how will Kelly Bryant fit in? Uh, can Joe Burrow take another step uh, You know, for, for LSU? Um, there, the, the, the questions that uh, Auburn faces at quarterback as well and, and who they're going to go with. Uh, Georgia's pretty solidified uh, what they have there, but mo- most most of these SEC opponents, then um, you're know, going into to Miami. We already know who their quarterback is, and Jerry Williams now. So that's kind of about how does he perform against Florida uh, in Game One? Can Florida State's quarterbacks also, um, you know, James James Blackman there take a, take a big step and, and improve on what we saw last year? There's a lot of quarterback questions for a lot of the opponents Florida faces this year. Yeah, it's interesting, though, when you think about that, is that we kind of have track records for most of those quarterbacks, right? I mean, Terry Wilson, we have a track record at Kentucky from last year. Guarantano at Tennessee, we have a pretty good track record. Joey Gatewood at Auburn, we don't have any track record, so that's a little bit of a wild card. But LSU with Joe Burrow, South Carolina with Bentley, Georgia with Fromm. And then you got Neil that we mentioned with Vanderbilt, but then Kelly Bryant, who's got a track record too. So, um, you know, if you trust the track record, I think what you really do is focus in on LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia being the key stretch, both from just a talent perspective in terms of who Florida's taking taking on, but also that that's the that's the Burrow, Bentley, and Fromm um, sort of row of games as well. So you're taking on three quarterbacks who probably have the ability to read what Grantham's trying to do to them and, and take advantage. So um, by the time you get to that Georgia game, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of surprises left in the chamber because mm-hmm. you will have wasted them against Auburn, LSU, and South Carolina. Not wasted. Hopefully you won those games. But um, Georgia's going to get to see a lot on film in those three years prior, and Fromm probably has the skills to take advantage of it if, in fact, he's still healthy when you get to that point. So, um yeah, I think there are questions at quarterback. Just, I mean, the reality is there's some questions at, at quarterback for Florida too, mm-hmm. and and Franks needs to take that next step for Florida to get to where they need to be. It's the same thing when you look at LSU. It's the same thing when you look at Kentucky. It's the same thing when you look at Tennessee. The next step for each of those teams may be different, but in order for those teams to succeed and say they have a successful year, it's really going to require some progress at quarterback. 
Absolutely, absolutely there. So, all right, that'll do it for our opponent previews for the 2019 season for the Gators. Uh, hopefully you learned a lot as much as we did uh, researching these teams and, and coming up with uh, what we think uh, were, were important aspects uh, for, for the Gators opponents for the 2019 season. Will, that was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, man, it's almost time for the year. I'm I'm ready for it and ready to actually have some games instead of just talking about it. But you've got a little bit of time left, and uh, now we know who Miami's quarterback is. So uh, time to start diving into that. Yep, uh, Will and I will be back next week uh, as we finally – have game week uh, to, to discuss Florida, Miami. Uh, we'll be kicking off uh, next Saturday and uh, Will and I can't really can't, can't wait. To, uh, we'll, we'll have our under our, our, our kind of popular over under show uh, where we've got pick out some important stats and uh, for a certain Florida players or a side of the ball uh, and Florida can hit some over under stats and, and a Miami preview coming up as well. Will. Yeah, well, just a caveat, whoever I pick over under, make sure you go the opposite direction because <laughs> the last couple of years has not been kind to to my gambling proclivities. So, <laughs> um, you know, do the best I can, but just, you know, take the opposite. You'll probably turn out better than if you than if you bet with me. All right. That's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site read and reaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.